Hey everybody, my name is Anita Kirkbride of Torp Communications and this is Halablab, the show for small businesses in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Join me as I talk to businesses you may be following and some you might not have heard of yet. Hear stories from local business owners like you, how they started, where they're going, and of course, since I'm a social media consultant, how they're using social media. Take a moment to subscribe right now so you don't miss an episode, whether you're listening on Facebook, YouTube, or your favorite podcast platform. Hey, Halifax, welcome back to another episode of Hallowed Lab. And on this, I hope you've all stayed safe today. It was a pretty gross and icy day out there with school delays and all that fun stuff. But we're going to uh, take a little break here to talk to Caitlin Burgoyne about customer research this afternoon and we're going to learn some stuff we're going to maybe we'll even find out how to make a tweet go viral I don't know if <laughs> share the secret on that but we've got lots of great stuff to talk to Caitlin about today so thanks for joining us live if you're catching this on the replay I would love for you to come join us live someday on Facebook we record live Friday afternoons at 1 30 p.m Atlantic on the twerp communications Facebook page it's TWIRP and I believe we have one slot left for this season of Hellablab, and I think it's the March 1st episode. So if you've got a really cool, interesting startup type business that you think people need to know more about, or you wanna nominate somebody for that slot, I would love to hear about them. Um, and then we're gonna take a break for summer. We'll be back in the fall with all kinds of cool new businesses to talk to back then. Um, but yeah, let me know who you think should fill that one last slot. This I can think of lots of people. <laughs> oh, listen, I've got a list of people, but it just the timing doesn't always work out for everybody. Some people can't do Fridays because of other commitments. You know, some people like uh, Scott from Groundhog, who was supposed to be my guest today, uh, get invited at the last minute to go to Dubai to talk about their business. <laughs> so, rough life for Scott. <laughs> yeah, it's a rough life. So, congratulations to Scott and to Groundhog Payments for that opportunity. And we will have Groundhog and Scott here uh, later in the season, hopefully, to tell you what happened in Dubai, how they got there, what they're all about. I mean, it sounds like a really cool business, and I know nothing about cryptocurrency, so I think it's really cool that that's coming out of Halifax. It's interesting. What they're actually in Dubai for is related to Scott's Groundhog business in that they, it's blockchain-based technology, yeah. but it's not actually Groundhog. They're going for this thing that they put together Oh goodness, I think it was like 18 months ago and it's called Hypergive and it's about oh. helping the homeless um, with food scarcity, food insecurity and helping wow. people to make donations using the blockchain in a really cool way. So um, we can even chat about that because I, I, I was so impressed when I saw what they did and how they came up with that solution. Um, spending some time when I was building my own tech startup down in San Francisco, there's a massive homelessness problem. And I would get so discouraged at humanity because I was like, you've got the smartest people on the planet in this city building the coolest shit on the planet. And this is the problem that they haven't solved yet. And why? Why haven't people turned their attention to the homelessness problem? Mm -hmm. And then when uh, Scott and his two co-founders, I think it was Brian and Andrew came up with Hypergive. I was like, yes, <laughs> we're solving the problem, but we're doing it in Halifax where it's not as big a problem. So it just goes to show that Canadians really are very nice. Yes, absolutely. Well, we'll find out all about that when they when they come back. I'm confident they will come back and we'll we'll have a chance to talk to them. Uh, okay, so let me properly introduce Caitlin to you before we get too far into this. 
Caitlin Burgoyne is a three times founder turned growth strategist. She understands the challenges product teams face because she's been there herself. With operational experience spanning the marketing, tech, and hospitality sectors, Caitlin has been named as an influential entrepreneur by Forbes and featured in Inc., Huffington Post, Bustle, CBC, CTV, Global TV, and more. Caitlin's past clients include high-growth startups, uh, SMBs. Now, which SMB is that? Because there's different versions of this, small and medium businesses? Yeah, I say small to medium businesses, yeah. Okay. Because there's somebody, there's other people that use that differently. Uh, and Fortune 500 companies like Target and Holiday Inn. Today, Caitlin helps frustrated product teams use customer insight to guide innovation and identify untapped growth opportunities. She's also the founder of Customer Camp, which uh, we've heard lots about locally. And she's the proud owner of at least two viral tweets. <laughs> so we're going to get into all of that now. So Tell us how you went from being a founder to being so passionately focused on customer research. Well, um, because I made a lot of mistakes and I watched <laughs> a lot of my smart friends make the same mistakes. And I thought, mm -hmm. this is crazy. We've got so many great people that are putting their heart and soul and every minute and every dollar into these companies mm -hmm. and things aren't working out. And they think they're doing all the right things and they're still not getting the outcomes that they want. And certainly that was my experience. And so after I decided to, you know, after the heartbreak of deciding to close down my own company, um, I was like, what the hell am I gonna do next? Uh, my background was I'd had a uh, branding agency. So I was accustomed to, you know, working in marketing, working as a consultant. Um, so I was like, I'll do a little consulting work while I kind of like find my footing and figure out what's next. And I was fortunate because I had this incredible network of awesome entrepreneurs, a lot of them building very big startup companies here in Atlantic Canada and beyond. And so I got to work with a lot of companies out of the gate and I kept seeing this similar um, pattern. Like these were these companies that had raised, you know, uh, millions, if not tens of millions of dollars of investment funding. And when I'd go in and I'd sit down with them, they were looking for help with growth, but consistently I would see the same challenge, which was, they didn't have consensus on their team about who their ideal customers were, or if they thought they did, it was a very broad kind of like everybody who fits into this bucket category. Mm -hmm. And they weren't exactly sure what was going to, what the future of their product looked like or what benefits their customers would get from their product. And so I really quickly realized that the same challenges that I had experienced when running my company of trying to figure out what to build next, trying to make sure that you're creating the right product, trying to make sure the messaging aligns with what your customers want, all these other companies were having those same problems. And the reason it was happening was because they don't understand their customers' needs and they think that they do, but they're building stuff that people don't want. And so, you know, anecdotally, I would see this, but then there's a ton of data to support it too. So ProfitWell is a uh, subscription, um, they help subscription companies to make more money and to reduce churn. So if you're a software as a service company, um, you rely on people paying you for your software every single month via subscription. Mm -hmm. Many companies do it that way. Um, and so what ProfitWell does is they help people figure out how much they can charge and why people are choosing their service and why people are leaving. Mm -hmm. And so they did this huge survey of all of their customers and it was over 3000 software companies. 
and they ask them, how many of you are talking to 10 customers or more every month in a non-sales capacity? Meaning you're just talking to them because you want to understand what they are enjoying from your product, how you can make your product better. You're not just trying to sell them stuff. And only three out of 10 companies were doing that. And then they asked those same companies, think about the last product feature that you released, the last big one that you guys put a lot of time and energy into making. How powerful was that in terms of it was a value generator for your company people would pay for that feature it made you um, it was something that the, your customer saw as really valuable and how um and how uh how differentiated was that from what your competitors were doing so how much did it make you different in the marketplace and so they plotted everything out on like a xy axis and of course all the companies said oh super valuable super differentiable it was an important feature we're so glad we did it mm -hmm. and then they took that same question and they asked 1.2 million customers <laughs> of mm -hmm. these 3,000 software companies and they asked the customers think about the last thing this software company put out how valuable was it in that you wanted to pay more for it how differentiated was it from other things you've seen and they had the mirror opposite people were like not valuable not differentiable and the scary thing is that seven out of ten companies don't know they're not building the right thing because they're not talking to their customers so they are putting stuff out there they're thinking it's great and then they're continuing along without mm. actually collecting customer feedback on an ongoing basis I think about the the big, big networks that we use in marketing. I think about Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And I think about all the things that all the marketers complain about. Mm -hmm. And then Facebook goes and does something different, like focusing on adding a product for teens instead of fixing the things that all of the mm -hmm. users want fixed. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Why, why do you think it is that we don't, that we're doing it bass backwards? <laughs> I've never heard fast actors before. I like that. I, this is my assumption. So like, this is a problem that if I had the exact answer to it, I mean, I wouldn't be sitting here with you. I'd be like sitting on a beach somewhere drinking a margarita, like counting my dollar bills. But, um, the, what I've discovered. So when I was building my company, everybody always told you it was important to talk to your customers. It's nothing. It's like part of the dogma of startup culture. You hear this thing and it's Steve blank. He's one of the kind of like pioneers of how to build a lean startup. He says, get out of the building, which means go out and see your customers, talk to people. Don't just make assumptions. Don't just sit around a whiteboard and think you have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And so you hear that all the time in startup life. And I thought I was doing that. And I went out and I talked to 300 customers before I launched my first startup. I know my friends that are building companies now have tried to do that. They've tried to do a lot of customer discovery. And what I just like what I've discovered after closing down my company was this innovation framework that I was unfamiliar with prior to that. Um, and it's completely and totally changed the way that I think about product design, the way that I think about marketing, the way that I think about motivating people to buy. Um, and it's a framework called jobs to be done. So if any of your listeners aren't familiar with it, which don't feel bad if you're not, cause it's pretty new, um, jobs to be done was really popularized by Clayton Hutchinson into his book he put out in 2016. Um, it's called competing against luck. And what he wanted to figure out was he looked at these 20,000 different product releases from all the sorts of different companies, big companies like Apple and IBM, small startups, like, you know, um, small enterprise companies. He looked at all these companies and 20,000 products. And of those 20,000 products, 
93% of them failed. So mm. they failed in the sense that they either like killed the company, like went out of business, or if it was a bigger company, they killed the product, stopped selling it, um, or just never met the grand expectations that the company had had when they created it. And so Clay and his team had this question, which is like, why are some teams hitting the lottery and getting really lucky and building these fast growing companies and other teams of equally smart people that are working just as hard aren't. And are those people just lucky or is there something else going on? And what they assessed in these 20,000 companies was that that 7% that actually got it right, the ones that actually built something that people wanted and growth came quick and easy, like they all had something in common. And that was that they helped their a particular type of customer get a job done better. So think about it this way. There's this saying uh, in the jobs we done world, they say people don't want a quarter inch drill. They want a quarter inch hole. And, you know, they're buying the drill to get the hole. And then jobs we done kind of takes it a step further. It's like, well, what they actually want is they want to hang a picture. And when you think about innovation, if you understand the job that your customer is trying to get done when they buy your product, you can figure out how to create more compelling messaging. You can figure out how to get in front of them at the right time. From a marketer's perspective, that's really important. But you can also figure out how to build better stuff. So I don't know if anybody's familiar with um, those little sticky hooks that go on the wall and they don't damage your wall. You don't have to put holes in it. That gets the same yes. job done, right? Mm -hmm. That innovation comes from understanding that certain people that want to hang a picture don't want to put a hole in the wall at all. They don't want a quarter inch hole at all. They just want to hang the picture and they'd rather not destroy their walls. And so it's opportunities like that, seeing that there's unmet needs that a particular market might have where you can innovate and create better stuff. And so when I learned about jobs to be done, I was just completely riveted because it made so much sense. I was like, this is the way people buy. We don't think about it that way though. If somebody asked you why you bought X, Y, and Z, you might not be able to immediately articulate it, like in a survey, for instance. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about customer research, a lot of the times people assume I'm talking about surveys um, or that I'm talking about, you know, like you get called on the phone and you get asked the same five questions that regardless of what your answer is, the person's going to still ask you those questions in that sequence. Mm -hmm. what, um, what I aimed for and what I encourage people to do is a different style of customer research. And it's about understanding the solutions your customers are using to get the job done currently, because if they're unsatisfied or if there's unmet needs with what they're doing right now, that shows you that there's an opportunity for innovation. And that's the messaging you want to be using in your copy. Um, if they're completely and totally satisfied with their current thing, they don't see any problems, there's no frustrations, there's no friction, then chances are they're not going to want your thing. And if you can't do it better than the thing they're currently using, they're not going to switch to you. Exactly. So that's kind of like jobs to be done in a nutshell. But man, like exploring that and discovering that has completely fundamentally changed how I think about mm. really everything <laughs> when it comes to business. It seems so simple. It seems to make mm -hmm. so much sense. I mean, when you're telling me, think about the job that needs to be done and whether or not you solve it, I mean, that it really just makes so much sense. So mm -hmm. I don't understand what the stumbling, like even myself, I can't, <laughs> I don't do customer research. I'm, I'll admit that. And I've been on the receiving end of customer discovery calls from you personally mm -hmm. and from your team previously. So it's not like I'm completely oblivious to what they can do. What's my stumbling block? I don't know. 
It's, I, that's a great question. And it's something that I'm really trying to help companies and individuals to, to kind of overcome. And so what I just, the way I describe it is the doing customer research is like, um, I picture myself kind of like standing on a stage and being like, because because I have all these product ideas for what I want to do with um, customer research, but I'm not doing any of them right now because <laughs> I'm like still like have PTSD for my own startup. But uh, I picture myself kind of like standing on stage and being like, who among us has ever wanted to lose weight? And everyone's hands going to go up in the air, right? Like we've all tried, we all want to. What if I told you that I knew the answer to weight loss? It's, you know, the weight loss industry is a hundred billion dollar industry and I know the answer. And people will be on the edge of their seat. They're going to be like, what is the answer? This is so exciting. And it's like, the answer is diet and exercise. And people are going to be like, no shit, Sherlock. (laughs) It's easy. Like, it's simple. The answer is simple. But Mm -hmm. actually doing the thing is not easy. It requires behavioral changes. It requires time. It requires trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. It requires collecting all this qualitative research that isn't just ones and zeros and actually trying to make sense of it. It's hard and it's important, but it's hard. Yeah. And I think when you, yeah. So I think part of the other part reason that it's hard is because you can't, you have to maybe be willing to give up your baby. Mm -hmm. hundred percent. This new product, this new service, this new idea, it's your baby and you're convinced that people want it, but what's it like when you do the research and people just don't want your product? Maybe we're scared to find that out. We're totally afraid to, right? Like I see it all the time. I see incredibly smart people ignore customer research, ignore the insights that are given to them and barrel on anyway, or just flat out say, we don't have time to do customer research yet then go back and rebuild the thing over and over. Cause they always have time to rebuild the thing. And I can tell you that, I did it too. I did mm-hmm. it too when I was building my company. And so um, I was just reading Seth Godin's new book, This Is Marketing. Mm-hmm. And he said this thing that like really, really resonated with me. And I was like, that's fucking it. Like that's, that's the answer. And it was like, when people don't behave and do the things that you anticipate that they're going to do, when they don't behave logically, you need to look for the bear. The bear is the thing that's going to eat them. The bear is the fear. And the fear makes us do things that we know are dumb. And I think that we have this willful blindness when it comes to customer research, because we all have this angry bear that we see in our periphery vision, which is, well, if you're wrong, that means, you know, you've lost money. That means you have to rebuild the whole thing. That means that your customer is going to be unhappy. Your clients are going to be pissed, whatever that might be. And so it's way easier to run in the direction we were already planning to go in and think that will help and hope that will help us avoid getting eaten by the bear, but it doesn't happen. And don't you think we've been inundated for, I don't know, the last hundred years with um, Ford. Henry Ford. Oh yes. I I love this. You know, if you asked customers what they wanted, they'd tell you they wanted a black, whatever, a faster horse, a faster horse. Yeah. Yeah. So, So I've got a great story for you. Okay, perfect. So that quote is something I hear all the time. People are like, people don't, customers don't know what they want. And I completely agree with you. If you go out and you ask customers what they want, they will tell you definitively what they want. You can then create that thing and you can put it in front of them and they won't buy it. And that so many smart people get so frustrated by that. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about how to avoid that in a second. 
But that Henry Ford quote, a lot of people have had that experience. They've gone out, they've asked people what they want, people have told them, they've built the thing and people didn't buy it. And so I often would hear that, you know, if we would have asked company, like customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And that Henry Ford quote, for one, Henry Ford did not say that. Like, I, knew, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, it's not something he said. It's untruthfully attributed to him. For two, I said that exact same thing when I was launching my company. Like I use that excuse because in my mind, I thought I know better. I'm the innovator. It's my job to understand what customers want. It's not their job. A famous Steve quote, uh, Steve Jobs quote is it's not the customer's job to know what they want. And so in my mind, that meant that doing customer research in my mind meant asking people what they wanted. And if I, if it's my job to figure out what they want, it's my job as the innovator, then I can't go, then why would I do customer research? Mm -hmm. My, the big, the big hole in my, (laughs) in my thinking was that the way that you do customer research is by asking what they want. And that's not it. And you don't put your thing in front of them and say, would you buy this? Because they're going to say yes. (laughs) then they won't buy it. And that's why Jobs We Done Style customer research has been so illuminating for me because it's not about asking people what they want because people don't know what they want. Mm -hmm. And even if they think they know what they want, they might be lying to themselves. They might not be able to articulate it to you very well. What they do know is how they found, why they chose their current solution, how they, what, what, their user experience is like with that. So like, you know, where's the friction in their current solution? What are they sat, what satisfies them about it? What led to them searching for that thing in the first place? And what's their desired outcome? And when you can figure out why they're choosing their solution, that's their job to be done. And you can figure out what their desired outcome is. Then you can look at how do I actually innovate on the problems that they have with their current solutions? Mm -hmm. So a good example of this, um, I don't know if I can do a screen share or not, but like there's- No, No, I can describe it because it's like, I think people could visualize it pretty easily. Um, If you think about the job that exists, that is create a mood with music, right? Let's assume that that's a job somebody's trying to get done. In the beginning of history, the way that people did that was they would pound on rocks. (laughs) Then eventually we had instruments and people would have, you know, kings would have uh, court uh, jesters come out or like musicians and play for them. Like if you think about all of the innovations over time to what's happened with music and think about the most recent timeline that we probably remember, there were cassettes, then there were CDs, then there were MP3 players, then there were, um, you know, you could stream music from different streaming services. And now you can stream music using a smart speaker. So you think about all of those individual products. If you would have asked somebody when they were using cassettes, what do you want? Do you want this? Like they couldn't have described the CD. They could have never thought of what a CD would be. Right. What they could tell you is, you know, what really annoys me is when I want to listen to a song that's in the middle of the cassette, I have to fast forward through, I have to wait like three minutes and I just want to be able to listen to that song. And that is a signal for innovators. That's an opportunity to innovate. Right. And then you think about the next thing that came along, which is the CD. And it's like, well, what's your problem with CDs? Well, I mean, I love CDs. They're way better than cassettes, but like, sometimes I just want one song. I don't want to have to pay the $25 for a whole album when really I just want the one song that I like, mm-hmm. or, you know, they're, I have to carry them around all the time. I always have to be switching them out. Like they could have described the problems they have with CDs. And then you think about the MP3. Well, it's like, 
that's an obvious solution. You can have a thousand songs in your pocket. You don't have to carry around that big binder of CDs anymore. You can just buy the song you want. And see, so I'm sure your audience will see where I'm going with this, mm -hmm. but it's like the opportunity for innovation isn't in trying to figure out what your customers want it or asking your customers what they want because they can't, they could never visualize a smart speaker mm -hmm. or maybe some people could, but most people couldn't. What most people could do is they could say, I love listening to Spotify. I've got my Spotify account, but if I'm in the kitchen and I'm cooking and I want to change the song, I have to wash my hands. I have to go over to my computer and my phone. I have to get there. Otherwise I'll get the dial sticky. Like they could describe that problem. It's like, how cool could it be if you could like voice command your speaker? And then that's the next iteration, right? So thinking this way gives you genius insights from a product design perspective, but it also gives you just so much gold when it comes to marketing, because you can figure out where your people are hanging out, how to make buying decisions, what they think of as alternative solutions to the thing you sell. It's just like powerful, powerful stuff. Mm -hmm. But to get it, you need to go digging. You need to basically think of yourself as a miner and you need to do customer interviews that are done in this unique way because they won't tell you this stuff in a survey. They can't, they don't think of it. Like, and so you can ask them in surveys. You might see some stuff, people online complaining about different things that can be helpful. You can track all that kind of like catalog that stuff, but really to get to the root of, of pain for a lot of customers, you need to talk to them. Mm -hmm. And so do you think, who's the best person to do the talking? Is it you, the founder, or is it somebody, you know, uh, one degree removed from the fact who's the best person to do that research? That's a really good question. So like I have a client right now. Um, I don't tend to do as much research for my clients anymore. Cause like maybe you'll resonate with this. Like one of the things that I've found in the past when I have my agency and then when I first started doing this type of work for clients is you can go off and do all of the work for your client, present them with this report or present them with a strategy, but like, unless they feel some degree of ownership over it, like, and uh, like really take the time to believe that that's the right approach, they might not execute it mm -hmm. or it might just become a paperweight or they might go, yeah, but they didn't really know this, that, or the other. So I will only do research like with a client. I won't do it for them. Like we do it together. Somebody from their team is going to be on the calls with me. I'm going to show them how to do the calls. I'm going to show them how to analyze the feedback. Basically, I'm going to teach them how to do this style of research so that when I leave, this is a muscle that they've now built in the company. It's mm. this tool that they have going forward. If you, um, a lot of what I've found is founders struggle with this because A, depending on the style of your business. So in your case, like you are your business. When people think about term communications, they think about you and it might be easier for me to interview your customers because they wouldn't feel as afraid of sharing kind of like all the stuff, you know? Right. They don't want to hurt my feelings. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so it can be really tricky if a, it can be helpful sometimes to have that third party do the, do the call and to oversee it. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to hear things that you'd hear. Like there'll be things that you hear that contextually, you know how important that little nugget is. And to me, not understanding the ins and outs of your business and where you're going with it and what your future products look like and all those different pieces, mm. I might just breeze right by that and not realize that insight's very important. And so if companies aren't going to actually be participating in doing all of the interviews, which I highly recommend they do in larger organizations, 
where people don't feel the personal connection, like the, the client I'm doing it for, I mean, they're a 500 person organization. The people I talk to are not going to be offended if they're not going to be worried, oh, I'm going to offend her because she works for that company. Right. Not the same way that they might be like, oh, I really don't want Anita to know that I did like that part. Like it's a different thing. So I'd say if you're a very small team and your customers have a very close relationship with you as an individual versus your product, mm -hmm. um, then I'd say it can be okay to get somebody to help you and do this for you, but you still need to listen to every single one and you still need to be part of analyzing them to gather the insights. Otherwise you're not going to, you're not going to treat it with the seriousness that it deserves. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been on the giving end of reports that are never implemented too. So mm -hmm. yeah, I totally get that. Okay. So let's talk a bit about how do you help companies? You've talked a little bit about it, but you have something called customer camp mm -hmm. um, and you have some products and you have a website. So how do you help people learn how to do this? So um, my current, my, my current kind of focus is on customer camp and customer camp is the kind of evolution of my own experience when it came to trying to figure out who that customer is, trying to understand how to learn um, the, the proper customer research processes, trying to figure out how to build a growth plan that's actually based on customer needs as opposed to like tactical thinking. Like these are all problems that I myself had experienced. I'd gone through a lot of different programs, um, whether they be online programs or local programs. And the piece that I found was often missing from those programs was that they would show you, they tell you what to do, and sometimes they would tell you how to do it. And those are the first stepping stones, right? Like the what to do and the how to do it are critically important. But then when it came to actually doing it, you'd often be left on your own. So you'd go to like a lunch and learn and they'd tell you all these things and then you'd be left on your own to figure out how to, to actually put all those pieces together. Mm -hmm. And other fires would be burning in your business. And suddenly that thing that you spent the last half day workshop learning how to do, you don't actually do because it's not important, like other fires start burning. And so the way that I designed customer camp is that you actually do the work during the workshop. So like the, you're surrounded by peers, they're all working through these incredibly hard problems. They're learning to think about their customers differently. And they're surrounded by kind of like people like myself and other great marketers. I'll bring in a few other people for that or like for that workshop to give them like actual direction while they're doing the exercises. Because mm -hmm. the thing that never ceases to amaze me is like really smart people can't see their problems clearly like <laughs> they can look at somebody else's and go you need to do blah 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 but then i like you hold a mirror in front of them and you go yeah you too and they go well they are <laughs> like but i don't know how to do that like mm -hmm. we really struggle to to see our own problems clearly and to understand what the right path is for our team because we're just so close to it and so customer camp is about giving them the tools it's like what do you need to do? How do you do it? Here are tools to help you do it faster. Now let's actually sit down and do the work. And in doing the work, I'm going to be there to make you challenge your assumptions when you get stuck to pull you out of the weeds, to get you to get out of your kind of like team's thinking and to see a broader picture from an un, like unbiased perspective. So that's kind of what customer camp is about. There's so were, uh, were people actually making the calls during customer camp. They don't make the calls, but they like okay. make their call script. And you know, it's interesting you ask that because like I run, the, I ran the first, um, the first version, and Digital Nova Scotia. I partnered with them. They've been an incredible partner. And if anybody is not already a Digital Nova Scotia member, you should definitely become one because they have lots more awesome programming coming down the pipe uh, this year. But so the, in the first one, we didn't actually make the calls. But I've 
kind of changed up the program. So the thing about customer development is again, like you can do all of the early, like you can do all the early research calls, try to figure out what customers want. And that's going to help you to get closer to building the right thing, but you're still going to consistently be needing to get customer feedback to keep tweaking and iterating that thing. And that's why when I gave that profit, well, example, like, you know, the companies that are talking to customers monthly are growing two to three times faster than the ones that aren't. So you need to be talking to them all the time. It can't just be a one-time project and then you go off into the dark. Um, so what I've learned from my first version was that I'm kind of going to change the way I, I set it up. I'm going to do it as three one-day workshops. And the focus of the one-day workshops are very specific. So the first one is the Compass Workshop. And it's all about figuring out who your customers are and, and crafting a compelling value proposition for them. And that happens in the workshop. They actually come in. They do the strategy piece, they craft the value proposition. And then I tell them as they go off into the world, well, now you need to actually test this because this is all based on some really smart thinking right now, but you need to test mm -hmm. it. Now, a lot of people will leave that workshop and they won't test it and they'll still be better off for having come through the workshop. They'll still have a better value proposition that they can put on their website, that they can use when they introduce themselves at networking events, like mm -hmm. that they can use in their marketing collateral, but not all of them are going to actually go do the work of testing yeah. it. Yeah. So then in the second workshop, which I hope that many of them will come to as well, um, that's the trigger workshop. And that one's all about actually figuring out how to interview uh, customers in the right way. And what I'm going to do in advance of that workshop is get people to line up customer interviews. So they're going to have them set up. They're going to have people uh, that either are their customers or that represent their ideal customers that have committed to talk to them on that day. They're going to learn in the morning how to do the interviews. In the afternoon, they're going to do them. And so that way they will actually do them. They'll get comfortable. Like I had the practicing interviews mm -hmm. um, in the first workshop, but it's, it's completely different when you're talking about a hypothetical situation versus your own company. Yeah. And so that's kind of like version two of that one. And then the third piece of that is like, nobody wants to do interviews just for the sake of doing interviews. You want to use what you learn to create a plan to grow faster, right? Yeah. Um, and so the third one is all about creating that growth plan, making sure that like your plan is based on real customer insights, making sure that they're based on actual customer jobs that need to get done, and then how to create a plan that actually focuses on creating value for your customers. Mm -hmm. So when can we expect to see the next uh, version of customer camp for people to join? The website should go live early next week. Um, I'm still figuring out how I want to roll it out because I'm fortunate in that I can work with organizations who already have an audience. So like um, Digital Nova Scotia already has members. Um, I'm working with um, the folks at Ignite Labs in Yarmouth, which is kind of like the Volta Labs, if you're familiar with Volta mm -hmm. Labs, yep. kind of like that, but for, um, for the Yarmouth area. So I'm going through intermediaries or organizations that have members. So if you are a member of different organizations across Atlantic Canada, you'll probably hear about it um, if your organization decides to participate. Um, but then I'm also going to do one that is um, just for the, for the general public. Um, but the customer segment that I'm going after are product companies. So teams that are building a scalable product and that product might be software, that product might be an information product like um, a course or, you know, an online publication, 
but I'm the, the audience for that really is uh, product companies. Mm -hmm. And not because service companies could benefit, but because I want to make sure that everything's really contextual to the needs that product companies face. So that's the segment I'm going after. Right. Okay. And tell us about, uh, you've got a freebie for anybody who's mm -hmm. listening. So it's called the customer ranking calculator. And mm -hmm. I'm going to drop the link here for everybody to see. Um, if people go there, what is, what is this customer ranking calculator? What are we going to get out of signing up for that? So it is, um, it's a sexy spreadsheet and what it is, is basically in under 10 minutes, it will help you to identify the customer segment that you should be focusing your energy on. So um, you can list the different customer segments that are potential ones that you should go after. So most of us know that like, you know, in my case, I could be going after um, with, with customer camp. I could be targeting exclusively uh, software as a service companies that are in the early stages. I could target software as a service companies that are in later stages. I could target online entrepreneurs that are building online courses. Mm -hmm. I could target service businesses. I could target small businesses. All of those are different customer segments. And so when you put those into this document, it'll ask you some questions. You'll put in some numbers. And basically what will spit out the other side is a score that tells you which of those customers are the ones that you should be going after. So it really helps you to kind of distill what's in your head that you're probably already thinking about mm -hmm. when it came to figuring out who you're going after and putting some um, logic behind it to see if you're on the right path and asking you some questions that you might not have asked yourself yet. Perfect. Sounds like something I need to do. <laughs> I, I do I'm going to do it again. Like I do it. I've used the same tool like 10 times. Like, yeah. as you, as your kind of idea evolves and you, and your product evolves, you want to go back and just be like, am I still, is this still the easiest path? Is this still who my early adopters are going to be? And the other thing for companies to think about when they fill out this form, don't assume that this means that these are the only people you're ever going to be able to serve. Assume that these are the people that you can create a tribe with you right now who will get the most value from your product right now. And if you can delight and engage them, there's nothing saying that down the line, you can expand and offer more or offer what you're offering to other segments. But I really believe that niches build riches, especially in the early days when it's so noisy out there like knowing who you're going after and building something just for their needs is always going to be a better bet than trying to please everyone. Absolutely. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk mm -hmm. about social media. You mm -hmm. are the proud owner of two viral tweets. What is your, well, first of all, what were those two tweets? Let me find, I'll open up Twitter here. I know what one of them was. Both of them were about customer research. Absolutely. Uh, funny one enough. Was, if you, if you believe if you if it's too expensive to do customer research, wait until you have to build it again or something like that. Something like that. Um, that was the more recent one. Yeah, the the one that went the one that was really viral that had over twelve thousand likes and like three thousand um, retweets was. It sucks when you've got a new product idea and your customer research proves that your assumptions were wrong and no one really wants your product. It sucks way more when you don't do any research and spend months or years building the wrong thing. And yeah. the fact that over 3000 people have shared that goes to show that the struggle is real. <laughs> like, yeah. It's real painful. Totally. And then the one, the other one that went viral, which was, which was a lot uh, fewer, uh, less engaging. I think it was 2000 likes and like, I don't know, a thousand retweets or something was um, if you're too, if you think you're too busy to uh, do customer research now or you think it's you don't have enough time to do customer research or it takes too much time or something just wait and see how much time it takes to acquire customers when you build the wrong thing right. so that one too like because um 
somebody posted a comment on a question I asked on Twitter yesterday and they said, here, let me read it because it was so good. Um, they had written an article in, uh, in a, on LinkedIn about how to do product develop or product management. So product management is a term that might be unfamiliar to some people in your audience, but it basically means like figuring out what to build. You usually have an engineering team that is responsible for that, but the way that they figure that out is by doing a lot of customer research. Mm -hmm. um, so let me see here. Here it is. So here's the, from this article, this, uh, this guy had written, he says, we never have time to do it right but we always have time to do it over and over and over. And man, that's true. Like, <laughs> it's like, oh, we don't have time for that right now. We really need to figure this out. We're just gonna rush in, we'll figure it out. Like mm -hmm. one of the, I think the, the biggest things that hurts early stage companies is this idea of move fast and break stuff mm -hmm. or everything's a test. Like, or so we, the MVP. Yeah, Men the MVP, Minimum viable right? product, yeah. right? And we, that the MVP, and this is the thing about the way that the world changes the mvp was a hundred percent like the thing you should do when building software was moderately hard right like when building software is moderately hard it would take companies six months two years to get something to market and only to find out nobody wanted it right mm -hmm. today building software is so easy that it's not the challenge anymore at all and there's enormous amounts of competition so if you sling out some piece of garbage over to your customers and call it an MVP and they have a hundred other options that they could choose, why would they choose yours? Not to say that your thing needs to be complex or, but it just needs to solve a real problem and do it really well, better than what else is out there. And if you're building an MVP that doesn't solve that problem better than what else is out there, but you're like, well, my future thing is going to be really great, but this thing's going to kind of suck now. But like, man, the big thing's going to be awesome later. Like you're not going to get any customers. It's not going to work. Yeah. I think it's another huge mindset shift that we're seeing because that was really popular. And in fact, I still use that term with people that I'm training, people who are scared to do Facebook lives or scared to mm -hmm. be on social media. I keep telling them, just ship it, just do it learn yeah. as you go, just get on there and practice. So it's kind of the MVP principle, yes. if you will. But uh, I hear what you're saying. It's Here's the thing so about easier. like, like you're so right. Like the, but in the startup world, there's this kind of like circle and this is the MVP thing. It's like build, test, learn, build, test, learn, build, test, learn. I think that that is absolutely the cycle that everyone should take. The mm -hmm. problem is most will skip the learn part. They build... <laughs> They test, it fails, mm -hmm. they build, they test, they build, they test. They don't actually spend any time at the learn stage really trying to get it. They have assumptions, they have anecdotal evidence, they go, I wonder why that didn't work. Well, this person seemed to think, well, and that's, they give almost no thought to the learn stage and go back into the build stage. Mm -hmm. And if companies just focus on all three stages, they're going to do a lot better in the long run. Absolutely. So we're almost out of time here, but I want to ask you specifically, you, you seem to be a big fan of Twitter because you've had a couple of tweets go viral there. Uh, what is your biggest tip for entrepreneurs or founders and their companies for social media? If they ask you, you know, what's the one thing I can do to make this work? Or maybe it's a, a customer research tip for social media. Mm -hmm. What would you tell them? I would say, you know, interestingly, I was never a fan of social media until re or of uh, Twitter until recently. Like I was on it, but like I wasn't active. Um, 
And it's because my audience wasn't there. When I was building mm-hmm. Fendi, my audience were mostly women entrepreneurs building online businesses. And most of them were hanging out on Facebook in Facebook groups. And so that's where I was hanging out. That's where my people were. Um, and so now that I'm primarily working with early stage, high growth companies, a lot of them tech startups, my people are on Twitter. And so be where your people are is the number one thing. Like Absolutely. you want to focus on when it comes to creating content, you want to focus on what innately feels good to you. But if none of your people are there, like I was doing a little bit of stuff on Instagram when I first um, closed down Vendive, and I was like, fuck, like my people aren't on Instagram or they're not on Instagram. They're looking to learn from me. Like they want to just hang out with their other friends. Like they're looking at like fun pictures. They're not there looking to learn from me, but on Twitter, all my people are there. The algorithm is beautifully designed to kind of create a little bubble of all your people. Like I'm followed by like the top growth people from like Facebook and Uber and like LinkedIn, but they discovered me because I am where they are talking about things that they care about. And so, yeah, be where your people are and talk about things that they care about. Awesome. Perfect advice. Perfect advice. Do you have any um, tips for how to write a viral tweet? How, how do you uh, make something go viral? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, uh, like a lot of my tweets lately have been um, have been doing well. Like, getting hundreds of of likes, and my audience isn't that big; it's under four thousand. So, hundreds of likes is a pretty good um, pretty good engagement ratio. Um, what I would say is that the reason my my content is getting a lot of engagement is because everyone's really feeling the pain of marketing not working for them. And they really, really, really want a solution and they, and they want customer research to be it, right? But I can also tell you that a lot of the people that are liking and retweeting and engaging are not doing it. And that's another thing that the guy from ProfitWell said, he's like, we like to retweet about research. We like to talk, sing praises about research. Everybody puts pictures on their wall about how the importance of doing research, but we're not doing customer research. And that makes me die a little inside. <laughs> and so that's the problem that I'm most excited about solving and I think that the way that you know the insight that I have going forward is I come back to that metaphor about diet and exercise you can buy all the best gym equipment in the world you can have a membership you can have a trainer like what you need is motivation and it needs right. to be enjoyable and if you're doing something that's really painful you're very quickly going to lose motivation and so what I'm trying to do as I train people in customer research is build in delight so that they get to have those little wins. They get to feel like a rock star. They get to have those moments of awesome. Because if they don't, they're not going to keep doing it. Well, I think you're a rock star. And thank you for joining us today to talk about all of this stuff. I could talk to you for hours, I think, about <laughs> this stuff. It's so interesting. And I'm really fascinated by the fact that we know what we should do, but we don't do it anyway. Mm-hmm. And the diet thing's a perfect example. Uh, so thanks for joining me and sharing this. Um, I hope lots of people will check out the calculator and see what your, your tool is all about. And let me know when Customer Camp is ready to announce again. And we'll make sure we let people know about that so they can join in where, they're, where it's available to them. Awesome. Um, thanks to everybody who was watching live. We did have a few people yeah, thank there. You guys. And thanks to everybody who's catching this on the podcast later. Again, there's one spot left, I think, for March 1st for this round of Halablab. I'd love to have another really cool, unique business to talk to that day. So if you are that really cool, unique business or you know somebody you'd like to nominate, just send me a message at info at twerp.ca and uh, we'll get you scheduled in for that. 
otherwise, I will see you guys again here next Friday for another edition of Hallow Lab. Stay social, Halifax. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening this week. You can catch the Hallow Lab live every Friday at 1.30 p.m. Atlantic, 12.30 p.m. Eastern on the Twerp Communications Facebook page or catch the replay on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to twerp.ca for links to everything we mentioned in this episode. And while you're there, you'll probably want to grab one of the freebies available to help small businesses manage their own social media marketing. If you run a small business in the Halifax area and you'd like to be featured on Halablab, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line at info at twerp.ca. That's info at twirp.ca. Talk to you next week.